2: you ever get the feeling sometimes that if we don't do it now, if we let this be another Sodom and Gomorrah, that maybe we might be the generation that sees Armageddon?
1: Welcome ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the End Time Tribune, covering breaking news and current events pertaining to Bible prophecy. In effect, counting down the second coming of Christ the King. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the End Time Tribune with the Brian and I. Very important things that are developing. On not so much of a global scale, it would seem that Mundus Nova seems to be excluded in this new magnificent economic development. It's been in the news over the past few years about the one belt, one road, The Silk Road Economic Belt and the 21st Century Maritime Silk Road, also known as the Belt and Road, or the Belt and Road Initiative, is a development strategy and framework proposed by Chinese paramount leader Xi Jinping that focuses on connectivity and cooperation among countries primarily between the People's Republic of China and the rest of Eurasia which consists of two main components, the land-based Silk Road economic belt and ocean-going maritime Silk Road. The strategy underlines China's push to make a bigger role in global affairs and its need for priority, capacity, cooperation in areas such as steel and manufacturing. The question of the day is this. Something that is on such a grandiose scale, could it possibly be a part of end-time Bible prophecy? Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bow into the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the rising of the sun might be prepared. You'll take note, ladies and gentlemen, you've probably never heard it worded as such. That's from the literal translation. But I'm sure it makes you go hum. Ladies and gentlemen, I would direct you to buckle your seat belts and put your trays in the upright positions. Make no mistakes about it. Both our saddles have been oiled, and both the steeds have been brushed out for the day. We are ready to ride.
2: Why well, you gonna pull those pistols and whistle, Dixie. Let's ride.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the End Time Tribune this April the 2nd, 2017, for a special broadcast edition. Brian, can we get you into the saddle here straight away, please? Ladies and gentlemen, I have over the past few minutes uh, been working on something else, so I was kind of a few minutes late to my own broadcast. Brian, do we have you?
0: Yes, indeed, I am here. Just getting a few odds and ends sorted out for this before we get rolling here.
1: All right. Well, this I will is, give an opening. I will give yeah, an opening diatribe, and, and uh, then you can take over, ladies and gentlemen. It, it amazes me how we have massive uh, information coming out about this new project. Uh, this was just released uh, yesterday on the next big future. Mega cities and One Belt, One Road are core to China's 100-year economic strategy. Uh, according to the strategy detailed in a rec- recently released report, uh, the Zhejiang Megalopolis is one of three key projects aimed at boosting China's economy over the next 100 years. Now, the thing about it is, is that This megacity lies along the Yangtze River Delta economic region uh, led by Shanghai in the south and the One Belt, One Road program in the west to create it to promote China's trading links with Asia, Europe, and Africa. And that's the whole point, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, That's why the Russians are working – everybody is working on this, and when you take a look at the imagery… When you take a look at the maps, it's disturbing because we are absolutely excluded from this. There is no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, that two-thirds of this planet – now, let me make myself clear. Mundus Novus, the New World, you can look it up in geology books – That comprises one-third of the earth. So one-third of the green grass and one-third of the green trees. Just take North America, Central America, South America. Of course, you must calculate in Cuba, the islands. You'll see it's one-third. So two-thirds of this planet is already economically planning... For one-third of this planet to be out of the game. Now, it makes you wonder. (laughs) Uh, They're planning a hundred years into the future, and we're not included. And nobody's saying a word about it. I mean, you can go to any number of Christian sites, and no one is talking about this. I mean, just do a search. Silk Road, Economic Belt, or the Economic Belt, e- e- Economic Road, Christian, nothing. Zeroes. Uh, I tried searching for it twice today. Everybody's silent. As a matter of fact, I would much rather use a more appropriate phrase. They're dead. Silent is what they are. When we clearly have developing right before our eyes. Arise are the kings of the east. They are making their play. They're making it in broad daylight. And the church is silent, having no idea that her doom must be at hand. Brian, I'm going to step away. I'm in the middle of something. That's why I was a few minutes late. And uh you can take over. I will send you a ping when I am back. Is that all right, Bri? Uh,
0: yeah. I just uh yeah, try to make it quick here because I'm gonna have to all right, not a bounce from point to point here, I guess, quickly. Um you know, folks, I guess to all get right. everybody's attention to what caught our attention and sort of drew us into uh looking at this is basically we had a story that broke loose last week, I'm trying to see exactly when that came out. All right, I can't find the date at the moment. Nonetheless, I found this out uh, last week uh, as it was posted. And we have the infamous Blackwater, the uh, United States mercenary force that has been uh, – was built by Eric Prince and then has gone on to be uh, labeled a few other things now here. It's got some new names and so forth. But nonetheless, Eric Prince has been one of the men that's also behind the scenes. That is whispering in Trump's ear. So there's very high connections between Eric Prince and the Trump administration. Now, what Blackwater becomes important, and I'm sorry, folks, some of you may be offended by this, but this is reality. The uh, Eric Prince and Blackwater... Have very deep ties into the Crusader dominionist, and even slash evangelical circles with deep connections with uh, what's his name here? I can't remember it offhand. They call him a uh, the Kingmaker as far as it goes with presidential elections because anytime he speaks something and calls whichever leader states they are a Christian, all of a sudden, lo and behold, next thing you know. They fly into office, and that happened right here with this last election. He did it again, and boom. And we've got, you know, there's deep connections with the 700 Club, and, you know, this this corporate ladder goes very, very deep. And these were the foundational factors behind Blackwater. So they tie to the roots of dominionism. And the Crusaders is what we refer to them as. I don't see any other way of referring to them as anything but you know we've warned in the past on top of it that a big move that's happened here within this new administration because we had so many of the republicans slide into place well folks they're all aligned with this movement and not to even mention on top of it that's where we've warned about a theocratic governing system a theocracy um, calvinism and that experiment it didn't go too well in the past and that's what they are trying to move towards This is where you've got Steve Bannon and that whole collective just in the midst of this big mess. And everybody, look, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Everybody talks about their new world order. We'll go out and read some of Bannon's statements about how they want to do away with the old and bring in the new. And then go back to the root of the formation of what is known now as the Prayer Breakfast and look into its leader and you'll find out that lo and behold, yes, that first statement came out of his mouth. And this can be further backed up with when we first heard this in history with Bush Sr. As he made that infamous statement about the New World Order. Well, he had connections into this group. That is behind the prayer breakfast. Okay, folks, so this is the first mention of it. That's what this governing body is attempting to do. You can look into Steve Banning. You can even see that he's making mention of this same ideology. So we're dealing with a bit of, you know, a mess. Well, remember, folks, New World Order never was ordained. That is the job of the writers to restrain. So this story, popping up as it did, within the news sources that suddenly Beijing has hired Blackwater troops to protect the One Belt, One Road. And what this boils down to is is the Uyghur. You know, and I'll read a few paragraphs here just from this uh, article. Beijing, military company Blackwater's founder said that the company plans to build new bases in China, a move to support the One Belt and One Road initiative. Frontier... Tier Services Group, a company that helps businesses operating in frontier markets to overcome complex security, logistics, and international challenges, plans to build two operational bases in northwest China's Yinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region and southwest China's Yunnan Province. Eric Prince, executive chairman of the firm, told The Chinese tabloid Global Times. Prince, famous as the founder of the private military company Blackwater, renamed Academy, provides executive security services and specialized training. It is reported that over 5,000 Blackwater employees were working in nine countries at the company's peak, but Blackwater changed its name and sold itself to other investors in 2010 due to its involvement in the Iraq war. Now, folks, go and look into this. Oh, boy. They dubbed themselves the Iraqi Hunters, and they looked upon these people as if they were animals, and they were out, quote-unquote, in the backyard chasing down animals. You can look into incidents that happened with them in New Orleans and across the board, folks. These guys are not good guys. (coughs) Moving forward, about the new operation in China, Prince told the Global Times that in late 2016, FSG expanded its geographic focus from purely Africa to include northwest and southwest corridors of the One Belt and One Road Initiative. The Northwest Corridor includes the countries of Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Pakistan, Afghanistan. And the Southwest Corridor includes Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, and Cambodia. He added that the planned new facility in China's Yunnan province will allow FSG to be able to better serve companies in the Southwest Corridor. Subsequently, FSG will open a training facility in Xinjiang, to service businesses in the Northwest Corridor. Wang Duai, a spokesperson of FSG, told the Global Times that the Yunnan base will be operating this year while the one in Xinjiang is protected to start operation in 2018. FSG's main service is to provide Chinese customers logistical support to get in and out of Africa's danger zones, Prince told Bloomberg in 2015. Africa is an important destination for Chinese investments. We believe our team's local knowledge will greatly benefit Chinese clients, said Prince. Chinese companies desperately need overseas protection services. Li Zhang, a director of the International Affairs Department in the China Security and Protection Group, told the Global Times adding... That Chinese security service companies lack advanced management theories. Now, before moving past this Blackwater aspect within this, folks, I need to point out something very crucial and important. And you can just type this in to your search engine, whichever one you use, and type in Blackwater Bear, B E A R as an animal, and then foot. This was the logo which they used at their formation. You are having something encoded to you here, folks, if you like it or not. And this, you know, to touch on the next section, which I'm going to have Matthew give some commentary before we go into, this is going to be the Uyghur, because all of a sudden this becomes very important as well in understanding why is it they're out there In Xinjiang, as they are. Aha. That's right. Like Matthew said, those kings of the east. Back over to you, Matthew.
1: Well, it would seem to me, ladies and gentlemen, that's why all these things are being tapped into. That's why these Igar is being riled up, for one. Being sent... Uh, in the battle concerning ISIS, ladies and gentlemen everything is being dumped into this now you have to understand that you have to look uh, in order to find some of the things that's going on with this because just take note um, that they have decided uh, to use a new development bank for this project ladies and gentlemen And I will read straight from an article here. It says, part from the AIIB, China also has U.S. $40 billion Silk Road Fund and Development Bank. This new bank initiative, uh, there's been good progress in getting those frameworks in place, the representative stated. Ultimately, he adds, Beijing may... Not limit the O-B-O-R to infrastructure, but may make it the foundation for regional and bilateral free trade. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, did you not understand what he was talking about? Lots of Christians have been talking about a one-world currency article here. Uh, Now, just just so you understand… Ladies and gentlemen, the title of this article is Where Will China's One Belt, One Road Initiative Lead? The article is extremely eye-opening because this is written by the University of Pennsylvania. So you're just not going to find it out there in the news. <laughs> this is straight from the university. And when you read this with the biblicals, Perspective, ladies and gentlemen, it's screaming at you why it's been so much in the news that China's been building up gold. Now, why would you make – what precedence does this have? What precedence do you have a country – go to develop anything, and especially a communist country that decides to create an independent development bank for that specific purpose. And I looked and looked and looked, and they don't want to give it a name. They don't want to give this bank, this new bank, a name. And then you start looking at the maps that's provided, and everything that Brian and I discussed uh, the night before about Yemen. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's amazing when you look on the maps because, of course, this one right from the South China Morning Post, that's, that's where this article was written. The first map in it clearly shows they hop right through Yemen, straight up, as a matter of fact, they go right over the Sheba Rift. Ladies and gentlemen. And where does it come from there? Of course, they hop around there, the bootleg. But the prior... Port of call was India. You can clearly see what they was doing. So, ladies and gentlemen, now that we hear about these Igar, and there was no real clear reason ever given as to what part they were playing and why they were playing it in this fight with Isis. And why isn't this all over the The news in the new world. I mean, everybody's heard about the BRICS nations, right? Well, they obviously know they're not included. Clearly, there are countries, especially in South America, that was trying to get in and be a part of this. Because if you're not a part of this game, you're not in the game. So... Ladies and gentlemen, think about what I said. This plan is stretching out for a hundred years. It's all over the Western news that China's stashing gold at fantastic amounts. And now they've got this whole project being managed by an independent bank. And this all being done by communists. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what if you want something? Ladies and gentlemen, if they set the standard, if they set the pace, if they have control of the path, you will pay them whatever it is they want to be paid in. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There will come a time when whoever controls this one belt, one road… They'll be able to set a global currency, and you will use that currency, or you won't get what it is that you need. Why does it say – it just amazes me. Like I said, this article was published in the South China Morning Post. China pushes for revival of Silk Road to boost trading links with neighbors. This is on the event's horizon. This is… This was published December the 8, 2014, and right from the beginning, the first paragraph mentions the eastern Mediterranean. The second, second paragraph m- makes it clear what the new Chinese dream is. Well, that's the opposite of the American dream. You know what the American dream is, right? Well, a year ago, their president… This is what he did as part of his vision to achieve the Chinese dream of a rejuvenized Chinese nation called for the revival of the 2,000-year-old land-based Silk Road and the Maritime Silk Road that was chartered later. Third paragraph straight away mentions Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Austria. Belgium, Antwerp. The new Silk Road economic belts and the 21st century Maritime Silk Road will build roads, railways, ports, airports, railways across Central and South Asia. The Commerce Minister has said that it will cover More than 60% of the world's population and one-third of its economy. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying that one-third will barter with the second third, and of course the last third is never mentioned anywhere in any of these massive articles that I went over today. I spent two hours looking at this, and the longer I looked, the more butterflies I got in my gullet, ladies and gentlemen. They're planning for what is to come, and it's almost like their play is set to John's. Cadence, that cadence he put down 2,000 years ago on the Isle of Patmos. It's almost like they've really familiarized themselves with that script. I mean, you go down, and the more articles you look at, the way they work things like this – Initiative is a way to utilize its severe overcapacity and diversity its investments while pursuing and pushing regional political influence. Ladies and gentlemen, they don't they don't they don't mince any words. This is this is serious and this is what is to come. The Kings of the East will rise,
0: they will, and they obviously know it, Brian uh, most certainly I mean that's it's exactly what what we're looking at here, you know we've discussed this, we've got a video series on some of the big big factors within the kings of the East I mean, quite literally folks, this is a topic that goes on. For much longer than we even discussed in those programs. You know, we brought up your first uh, portion of that with the uh, Attila the Hun, which those Hun people, depending on where you're at, they were called uh, the the Xinyu in the Chinese sources. And then, of course, we got the name Huns as it came along into Middle Ages history. And that ended up, those people you'll find out on top of it are the Magar, which is the branches within the Turkish people, but on top of it, I've had long suspicions that that Magar is also tied in with that name, Magog. And historical documentation, in a way, does support that idea, depending on which of the ancient historians you look at. Of course, Josephus used the blanket term of Scythian for Magog and inadvertently. Unless you understand the Scythian, to an extent, he was partially right because of the fact that the Scythian themselves were actually made up of a multitude of varied people groups that were all throughout the steppe regions. They used to call that entire area beyond, I think it's starting at the Euphrates, I can't recall right now offhand, but nonetheless, most of the maps during the Middle Ages called that area Scythia, so they used to just use that whole vast, broad region you know, and probably even taking that on top of it from Herodotus and his histories. You know, we discussed this before. There's branches within the Scythian themselves that are tied into Ashkenaz. Now, uh, these Igar—they're a rather interesting group of people, and they've been causing a very large amount of conflict now, right up there at the uh, border of Xinjiang, China which we talked about that extensively you're looking at the Tarim basin you're going up into the altai mountains around that region and xinjiang alone by itself i've spent a vast deal of time looking at the history the archaeology and even stumbled into some very very strange anomalies of things that happen right up in that region right up into the altai mountains and all around there we've got geological things that cannot be explained. We have just, this goes for days. They've had weird sightings of weird entities and all kinds of uh, things as far as that supernatural level of things go. So it's steeped in such an incredible history that it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, in this uh, Igar, Igar, there's multiple pronunciations for this, folks. But most notably, you're going to, they're part of the Turkish people group, and um you know if you look go in and look at the genetics themselves, which is something I've been using actually quite extensively lately now that I'm starting to get a grasp on how these trees work as far as the table of nations, the modern ones right now you've got a mix between r one a one which is usually a, typically associated with um in the European groups and What they suspect is actually that mix more or less came about after the fall of the Uyghur, Uyghur Cognate, which, you know, them mixing in with them. And then you've got an even distribution between O3 and J, which J, you'll get a bit of your – this goes in usually into your semantic – Bloodlines, and then, like I said, O3 is tied in with a few different areas, most notably the O-line, you will find that's within the Asian. Now, when you had the Igar themselves, the original cognate um, itself, through most of the pictures that have been found, the roots began with a very, very Asian-looking group of people through all the paintings they found throughout the area from that time frame. And, you know, just moving towards, at least now for the time being, moving to the end of their history as this uh, cognate, which ended, um, this ran from, you had one phase of it ran from 744, 747, and then on top of 841 to 847. So this whole branch from 744 to 847 was its main uh, glory period, or as they list at the top of this article, 744 to 840. So it was a little bit less than 100 years that this ran. And at one stage they ended up uh, they switched over to the uh, religion of Manichaeism, and that's when they began to make connections on top of it for the massive controlling factor within the trade routes with the Sogdians and ancient Sogdia. And they were, for a very vast portion of time, they controlled the ancient Silk Road. And Folks, they're all over the place in ancient history. You have them during the Occamated Empire, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great didn't have a fun time with this group of people. That goes further, the Seleucid control, and, you know, that one just keeps moving along and moving along and moving along into history as well. Now, this group of people later in history, when the Islamic, when the Muslims basically came in, they called them the... uh, uh, toughest infidels for them to fight, and then at one por- at one stage in time during those invasions, a mass majority of them converted to Islam, and this is where now you're seeing this massive, massive flashpoint with the people of uh, Xinjiang, China, and that's why we've had the Blackwater, Eric Prince and his mercenary forces have been brought into this situation. And they've been, you know, several films have been being released just even lately here of threats against this group. They've had a bunch of crackdowns. There's all kinds of just unbelievable things that are happening right there in Xinjiang, China, as we speak. And when you understand that this was one of the main pivot points as well within the Silk Road, where a lot of the caravan and trade routes were set up and stops through this point, this is one of the most important paths. You know, folks, you've got to get this idea out of your head. They'll try to fool you and make you believe that the Silk Road, you know, you mostly hear of that idea coming along, you know, towards the time around the Romans and the Parthians, and then moving forward in history into the Middle Ages and so forth. But everybody look, this ancient route has been a non-stop thing throughout, where do we have this in the Bible? It's in Isaiah 49, and it's known as Sinim. And you take that Hebrew word, you can just run that word alone into your search engine, and it's going to take you right to the Wikipedia that's within China. It takes you straight to China. And if you even go through and look at some of the historical documentation, I went through and took a look at what DeLeach had to say as far as his Old Testament commentary, and he even brings up, most are baffled. How did Isaiah know about this and bring this group of people into the equation? And, you know, when you look specifically at Isaiah 49, you've got the diaspora returns, etc. going on here. And even as he pointed out, at that point in history, because they didn't know about another group that we found, I can't remember the name of the documentation at the very moment, I'll try to pull that back up again, But yes, there was a diaspora of Jews that went into China, and they did set up a kingdom there where they lived for quite some time in the midst of the Chinese people, and that stretches way back. So what had historians completely baffled at the time of uh, when De wrote his commentary is that he couldn't understand, well, how did Isaiah know about this at that point in time? And at the same time, though, he brings up the fact that he'd seen documentation about diasporas into that area. Brian, uh, just to help you out, those were the
1: Kefeng Jews. Uh, There they they found the inscriptions and all that. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's off the charts, um, especially the tablets that they found there, absolutely off the charts. Uh, The Kefeng stone inscriptions are just off the charts. They are 100%. Jewish tablets. And I just want to throw that in there. I'm not trying to interrupt you, Brian, but uh, we already have proof of this, so there's no point in beating around the bush, uh, questioning what Brian has said. Um, the thing about it is, ladies and gentlemen, that when these were discovered, now it, it, it absolutely amazes me that. This was not discovered into the modern times, ladies and gentlemen. And these people were in China for a long time, okay? The second tablet was dated in 1512. The third, 1663... Ladies and gentlemen, that's when they found him. You understand? That's when they found him. So, this is extremely wonderful that how did Isaiah know that, ladies and gentlemen? Because Isaiah didn't write it. The Holy Spirit wrote it using Isaiah's hands. But just absolutely off the charts, Bri. Uh, Sorry for that interruption. I just just wanted to remind you of the name of the Jews involved.
0: Well, I'm glad you did, because that's a crucial point. It has to be brought up, you know, folks. And there's parts in this. There's things within this topic that we've never really breached nor moved forward on. And let me explain, you know, this aspect of it. It's this... uh, You know, the one thing that all these historians, they sit there and look at and they go, well, we can't understand why we have this thing with this culture on this side of the world. We have all these legends, this lore, and they all somehow seem to be mysteriously connected with the absolute other side of the world. And we can't put two and two together, so it had to be some collective consciousness type of thing. Folks, it's not at all what was happening. Okay, they have that, you know, the old Disney song, it's a small world after all. It's an understatement. These trade routes have been in place since ancient times, stretching all throughout the world. And this is no joke. And when I say all throughout the world, I'm not playing around. All throughout the entirety of the world. But this route going from China, moving over into the Middle East, this is where you had the transfer of cultures, you had the transfer of belief systems, and this just keeps going and going and going for days. Now, folks, stop and think about it. It says, it says that the Magi, the wise men, they came from where? It said they came from the East. This is the same East, folks. It's a topic we never move forward on and never breached, because by the time that you get into what happened with Darius the Great when he usurped the kingdom that came down through essentially the Elam kingdom, that came down through Cyrus the Great, and when Darius came in there and usurped it, one of the first orders he made was to execute those magi. Now, when you look at the magi he executed in the names, you're going to start seeing some names stand out. You're going to run one of those names, and you're going to find out that that's coming up all over in the text of Zarathustra of Ast- Zoroastrianism, and that's why I've brought this up so many times in the past, folks. They try to tell you that that's the oldest religion in the world, and on down the line. And, you know, it may inadvertently have roots that go back in the ancient times with those texts. That's a whole different story, because you can lock them into place to being at the time of Darius the Great due to the fact that you have that revealing fight going on back and forth between Zarathustra and this infamous Magi that was basically had come from the time of Daniel when they were in Babylon under the Chaldeans same group and then all of a sudden lo and behold one standout person is in that mix Not only that, he had a name in one portion in the world that went into India, but making matters worse, he was also known by another name in China. We can lock in records that came from the time of going up into the Parthian Empire, I believe the earliest were going into 300 to 200 B.C., and even beyond is where this is mentioned. It tells you something very strange about these magi that they have attempted to label as the Persians, but they're not, folks. They never were. And the more you study this, you're going to find this is the case. All throughout the 1800s, they were going to tell you that they were the Sokka of that branch of the Scythian, which I refer to as the Saka Tiger Huda, the Scythian with pointy hats. The Chinese records reveal something to you very important, and we, we dropped a bit of a question on the folks about who were the first Christians. And it took a while before it kind of clicked. Who came first and worshipped? It was those magi. The Chinese records tell you they were in Antioch. The first Christians were where? It's no different than what Acts says. Now we have records just in that department alone. They were also down in the uh, Gondara, in that area, in the basin there. There's a group of them set up, and you have ancient texts that trace them into there. You even have some apocryphal texts that came along throughout later church history that pinpoints them there. You have them going up into what was ancient Armenia. They were spread all over throughout branches. So this, in that way, was one branch that kept spreading through back and forth with these regions. You know, we had the ancient uh, Buddhism had spread up all the way into China, coming down from the areas in India and Pakistan and all of that and so forth that moved up in there. You know, and then we had the Islam expansions that came in at a later point in history. So this, it's always been a corridor. Biggest thing, China... Wants to keep this out and that's how we've led to this current day conflict that is happening there on the Xinjiang border. I'll let you step in here for a bit, Matthew. I didn't want to stumble too much further off path where this has to go yet.
1: Not a problem. I I I'm gonna direct people once again. I mean I'm just gonna push you, ladies and gentlemen. This was article was published in the South China Morning Post. The name of that article is China pushes for revival of Silk Road to boost trading links with its neighbors. Ladies and gentlemen, look at the map, please. Now, the boat leaves India. Do you understand? Its next port to call is in the Strait of Hormuz at bandar abbas Now, from there... It never enters the Persian Gulf, ladies and gentlemen. It never enters the Persian Gulf. From there is where it hops on around a port of call in Oman, of course, and then straight to Yemen. And then you can plainly see it goes straight up the Red Sea. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't you understand? The Silk Road Highway on the land, its closest port of call, ladies and gentlemen, is Tehran. What I'm trying to say is, okay, it goes underneath the Caspian Sea. Do you understand? The land route goes underneath the Caspian Sea. And you can plainly look at this map and see that this is is really the closest place it could come If you dried up the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, ladies and gentlemen, they would go ahead and sail through the Strait of Hormos, go up Persian Gulf into the dry riverbed, and hook back up. It would be the perfect halfway point, ladies and gentlemen. Just look at the map, and it's obvious what God's going to do. It's obvious. It's the closest two points. you understand? This would create the perfect way for the shipping there at the Strait of Hormuz. Go ahead and sail on up the Persian Gulf, enter, and you would have vice versa working to its advantage. If the land route needed supplies, they would get supplies off the shipping, march it straight up to Euphrates, And hit right smack dab, it terminates right at the Silk Road. If the Maritime Silk Road needed supplies, they would do the exact same thing. They would go, and waiting at the head of the Dry Euphrates Bed, there would be a detachment from the Land Silk Road... To provide them what they needed. It's a perfect – oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. You need to look at the map and understand.
0: Well, let me point out here with that – let me interject real quick here. That maritime aspect that you see um, with this Beijing's One Belt, One Road Summit on Barris, India, says Chinese media, that map right there, you can see the blue – light blue line that comes out of Hong Kong, that line is no different than what the Romans used to bypass the Parthian, um, and what Saka Parthian is the proper name you'll see brought up many times, the Cushion Empire that stretched down even further into there and so forth. They used this very exact same trade route at the time of the Romans. I don't see that as being coincidence either. No, Brian, it's not. There's a lot of things. When you look
1: at this map, it makes sense. It makes sense why they're wanting to bottleneck Russia. Ladies and gentlemen, from Kazakhstan, it should go north of the Caspian Sea right into Russia. No, no, no. They're too smart for that. They're too smart for the Russians, and of course... Right there, you've got massive mountains in your way. So it comes down to Tehran, south of Caspian Sea. Then it goes over around, and because the Caucasus Mountain is in your way, ladies and gentlemen, the Land Silk Road has to cross the hell spot at Constantinople. Ladies and gentlemen, just look at it. This map has got history all over it because when you, you look at it, if you don't know the geography, if you don't know the northern border for the mighty Assyrians and why it was put there, <laughs> Brian, this, this map makes biblical sense, and I don't understand why I can't see any of these Christian online ministries pointing out the simple fact that the kings of the East are gathering together. And this map plainly points out they will succeed. Now look, I'm telling you they left India, they go straight to the Strait of Hormuz, From there, they hop on around to Oman, right to to Queen Sheba, hop right around through the Red Sea. All they need is for the Euphrates River to dry up, and it gives a perfect link between the Land Silk Road and the Maritime Silk Road because right now, because that river's there… Is why the shipping, why the Maritime Silk Road don't enter the Persian Gulf, ladies and gentlemen. It's why. Because south of Tehran, of course, they'll take it off of the Land Silk Road. Ladies and gentlemen, you would think a five-star general had planned this. It's it's perfect. And, and by the way, did, did everybody catch what I read about the article saying that China is pushing – they want megacities? Let, let me read the headline again. This was published yesterday. Megacities and One Belt, One Road are core to China's 100-year economic strategy. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody's been wondering why these ghost cities have been built in China. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. They have all of this already planned. It says right here that just in one town alone, they're investing $40 billion US dollars. It's very pointed. When it points out the simple fact that in US value, forty billion, in this one city, to make it to make it a mega city. They want to make it bigger than New York, bigger than Hong Kong. And ladies and gentlemen, this this article right here goes way out of its way to tell you that everybody's gonna love it because Everybody's working on these high-speed rails. So as soon as they get these mega cities done, it says what used to take 4-hour trip by car, now you're going to be able to do that in 15 minutes, okay? And why would you, why would those people want to hook up to that mega city? Well, ladies and gentlemen, they mentioned that it's already planned that's where the Olympics are going to be. And they plan to have that high-speed rail done before then between these two megacities. Did anybody tell you that's why the Olympics is going to be held there? This article plainly points it out that this was all part of the plan leading up to 2020. They've already got this all planned. This Silk Road and these high-speed rails, it was already part of their plans expecting the Olympics to be held there. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man, has... You know, here they say it very cleanly. While the Habibi province would shift to clean manufacturing and wholesale trading. With high-speed rail links, residents of Kongji County, one of the hosts of the 2022 Winter Olympics, will be able to get there in just 50 minutes. Today, the trip takes three to four hours by car. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's almost like They were laughing at the Americans when they wrote this. I mean, look at what, you know, do you remember, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the disgrace that was provided to the American people when a U.S. general died and our president went golfing? When you take a look at this and realize what the Chinese leaders have been planning, it literally puts the West to shame. To shame. And like this article clearly points out, they're not even making plans for one-third of this planet. Almost like they know what's going to happen first. Brian?
0: Well, and this is uh, where I can come in and do a little bit of a correction for our program that we did last week. I guess it would be last week now concerning the Queen of Sheba. But to do that, I need to touch on some topics. Get us there. Now, folks, this is, um, you know, as Matthew pointed out, Nobody seems to touch any of these areas with a 10-foot pole as far as uh, Bible prophecy is concerned. Nobody touches the kings of the East. In so many ways, it seems as if China and India somehow have been put in the timeout corner and have been dubbed as not touchable. Now, the reason
2: that I began to
0: really dig Uh, Matthew, you want to mute? Okay, but anyways, the reason I began to dig into the history of China and India quite some time back is when I was looking into astronomical records that A, tied into the, the star, the magi followed, and B, looking at a correlation between Moses to see if there was any astronomical events that went on there at the exact same time and you know going into an 80 year time frame prior to his birth is where i discovered that in china you've got a r- record with the um, fall of the zia dynasty which led to the rise of the shang dynasty that locks into a, a approximately 1607 bc they reported that they saw 10 suns in the sky at the in the sky and if you start kind of questioning that you go Well, this could be metaphorical, or was this actually an eyewitness report of some kind of a comet or meteorite-type body breaking up in the atmosphere? Well, lo and behold, all the rest of the data basically supports that that's exactly what happened, is it was a breakup of a meteorite body as it entered the atmosphere, and there was mass devastation that took place. There was plague, all sorts of things that happened right around this window. And the fall of the Zia dynasty... Was tied into that as well, and then the rise of the Shang. Now, if you look on top of it in the records of India, you've also got mention of the same sort of idea within the Ramayana War, and you know, you even have aspects that go into the later with the Mahabharata War and so forth. Now, the reason I looked at these two places is I had known that for some reason these two sections of the world have always been cordoned off and set apart, and have been enduring since ancient times. And that's no joke. why I began to dig into these areas, and that's where I ended up finding out that these histories are so crucially important to understanding things biblically in history, because they confirm, they give other details, they fill in a plethora of gaps, and Scholars in the 1800s recognized this, but somehow it's just disappeared into the fabric of time. But now to go in and point out this important factor of what I wanted to correct from last week. Now, that same route that you see coming in from Hong Kong and going in up near towards, uh, well, they were virtually to South Asia on this map, which encompasses the areas of, at least where they're showing here, is uh, Pakistan and India. But that lower tip If they were to extend that up towards the um, southern border of India a little bit more, that's in the same region where Ophir was located. And we have confirmation of this within the Egyptian text that referred to India as Sophira or quote-unquote Ophir. Now, last week when we did that program on the Queen of Sheba, I had stated that the connection, the big connection, was that Sheba was the alignment with Kush. But now, after I've been spending a great deal of time looking over this uh, genetic uh, DNA data and coinciding this with the Table of Nations, the more I looked at that data that was there as far as who is in Arabia, it hit me, wait a minute. Okay, we do have a Sheba in Kush. We also have a Sheba from the line of Shem, and it starts to become very prominent when you see this. If you look in Genesis 26, you'll see it listed here with these descendants. And Joktan became the father of Elmadad and Shaleth, and Has Hermaveth and Jarah, and Hedarim Uzal, dekla and Obal Abemil and Sheba, and Ophir and Havilah and Jobab. And all these were the sons of Joktan. There you have Ophir listed. And this was part of the Indus Valley civilization. There's a split between the people there. I have to look in more detail on this as far as that Table of Nations genetic data goes. But that split in people is tied into the ancient Indus civilization. Which becomes very crucial in understanding a whole lot going on with ancient history. Now, the big connection you'll find out when you look into the ruins of the Indus civilization that they found tablets back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between the two is ancient Elam is the major connector. But you'll also find out that the Sumerian civilization also had connections with them. Now, when you bring up Elam, once again, you have a descendant of Shem there. And as I was doing a lot of this archaeological and historical work, This was in the time where they were using anthropology as their base work to try to figure out who these groups of people were. And you'll find that in this this civilization, there was a very large amount of what they would term Semitic or descendants of Shem, um, skeletons within the archaeological findings. So this on top of it with those archaeological findings even is further proof that that's what we're looking at here. Now, as I brought up last night in the program, just briefly, you know, folks, this is where you have to understand the split between India and Pakistan. And Pakistan itself, as it's modern, you know, the modern nation of Pakistan, it wasn't created until 1947 when they broke away from India. Now, I've got other books here on top of it that are told, you know, from a person in Pakistan, he relays why this happened. And this really, bottom line, broke down to the split of the people groups that were derived and descended from the ancient indo civilization to break away from the group of people that in their table of the nations are the ones that are in modern-day India. So now when you understand that connotation, all of a sudden things start getting amplified even more. So now we've all of a sudden we got the same route, the ones that Rome used to skirt the Parthian Cushion Empire, but if you would have extended it in ancient times That's the same route going from Ophir Bringing you up Into like Matthew brought up before Sheba so Now this starts to make sense And I'm going to stop there And if you need to elaborate on that Matthew Or move in whatever direction you see fit No we we need to go ahead and take a break We're a we're good
1: 20 minutes past break time Uh Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you were paying attention uh, to everything that he said. Uh, We had to make that uh, correction. This is part and parcel with the genetic search that Brian is getting into here as of late. He seemed to uh, delve into the archaeogenetics uh, without even telling me, and that's why the past week has been such a whirlwind. Uh, We're going to take a break. Uh, We'll be back here in eight minutes and ten seconds. You listening to the In Time Tribune. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the In Time Tribune. I'd like to bring something to your attention. This bank that was created, the AIIB, was first proposed in 2013. Now, on June 29th of 2015, all the technical data was set up with China being the largest stakeholder, holding 26%. Now, on November 2014, it announced plans to create the USD Development Fund, which was going to go to Pakistan to create the Karat Hydropower Station in Pakistan. So, take note that as of then, 2015, its holdings was $1 billion. This one project, they gave $350 million to Pakistan. But take note that this article was released on March 28th. That now let me retrace what i just said they had 1 billion and just for a single project a hydroelectric power plant in pakistan so that's minus 350 million but as of march 28th their holdings is over 2 billion so after all their infrastructure spending in 2014 the start of it, they had a billion. After all of that spending they've already done, right now their holdings are two billion. So, ladies and gentlemen, it kind of makes you wonder the real reason why everyone is saying that Trump is promoting isolationalism, wanting to... Bring our jobs back to the United States Maybe he knows Something that you do not Putting all this Into perspective is just Absolutely blowing my mind
0: Well to ask one question quickly I mean what what was the name of the Agreement the first trade agreement that they Immediately broke was it was the Pacific Trade agreement
1: Right That's right It's obvious that Brian, our leadership knows what they're doing and its ramifications toward Mundus Novus, the New World. We're not going to be included. And our government officials know it. Brian, you just sent me here an interesting message as to how you've tied together the last pieces of the macedonians um i'm really interested because you your following comments i'm not going to say myself i'll let you say them but it truly has caught uh, my eye um so why don't you just jump right back in here and uh Devels the info uh, please um, Looking forward to it to say the least
0: Well I mean That's inadvertently Folks some of this actually touches deeply On even the topic we're discussing here at hand um, we did the program On the Garden of Eden You know I, I pointed something forward folks I went what was going on with Alexander What was he thinking I mean, you got to understand that one of the primary things he was doing there, you know, moving from one spot to the next, going up along the Oxus River, going through Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Sogdia, Bactria, some of those which were parts of the Occamated Empire, he was trying to make that connector, that connector between the East and the West. He was trying to establish it and figure out how to get in there and how to control this route. And, the, you know, this whole big boiling pot that's happening in the Balkans right now as we speak is just the complexities of it are enough to blow your mind. It really, as far as the Macedonian aspect of this is concerned, we talked about this last week with uh, Sheba. It really boils down to the Greeks want to say they're the Macedonians. The Slavic people want to say they're the Macedonians. But the Macedonians are the Macedonians. They are Javans. And I breached that history. I was able to finally pull it apart, once again, by going back to my old work on India. Because they're all over in the ancient historical texts of India. And they've even done, going back into this table of nations and genetic findings, the ethnic, as they would call them in their terminology, ethnic Macedonians, they're not of the same makeup as what we would refer to as the Hellenes or the Greek, and as I said, Eliphaz, they're distinct in their own bloodline. They have been found to be a part of the ancient Mediterranean nations. Part of them extend into Crete. And on top of it, they've got connections into Iran, which some of that can be explained by what happened when Alexander the Great overthrew the Achaemenid Empire with uh, Darius three, because immediately what happened, they took wives from those that were within Iran. So that connection makes absolute sense. But that all is on top of it. That's all part of this picture in and of itself in a major way. So, and I mean, that's moving into, as I brought up in the next portions of the discussion. Tying in a lot of events that are happening, even to, we've talked about this eclipse in August, and so forth. The next major tackling of history is going to be World War One because it is the crucial pivot point to understanding how everything evolved, earlier stages in history, and how it's brought us to where we are now. Because the parallels of things I just found last night, within a few hours of looking over all of this uh, connected data with the... Um, eclipse that happened in, uh, I believe it was 1818 and World War One. It was just enough to blow your mind, and that's where I made the decision. I even went out and grabbed the book last night. I'm like, I'm not playing with this. I need to know everything about World War One to understand this whole thing. So that's going to be the next piece of the puzzle I'm going to be diving into, and it's really going to start throwing... Massive light onto everything because even you know as far as the Balkans go, that is such a major part of World War One, the fall of the Ottoman Empire, which is also a major piece. We had battles that were going on in Israel. Uh, we have the War of Megiddo, for instance. <laughs> People should recognize that. All kinds of things, Sykes-Picot Agreement, which was put into place when the fall of the Ottoman Empire happened, it was a little secret document put into place behind the scenes as a treaty and the Islamic State has been stating for some time that we are going to avenge the sykes picot agreement and every time one of these major terror attacks comes up such as the one that happened in Paris for instance nobody mentions this and it's the key crucial piece now I ended up finding out on top of it that the author that um, his material that I basically got a hold of where he's explaining things From that side of the world, from all of his interviews and things he's seen with his own eyes, connections he's had, and so forth, he's been on top of it. He's been thrown onto a kill on site drone hit list by the United States, and he's fighting to get taken off that list. I don't know about you, Matthew, but don't you find that one a little bit peculiar? Well, yeah, but...
1: I'm sorry. I'm going to have to push everybody. Let me say this again. South China Morning Post. China pushes for revival of Silk Road to boost trading links with neighbors. I'm going to read directly from this article. And it's here that you're going to find out that there's even a Silk Road Institute, ladies and gentlemen. Fang Ganghua, president of Northwest University, who leads the university's Silk Road Institute, said… The Chinese version of the Marshall Plan would help China make better use and increase the value of its foreign reserves to nearly four trillion and provide much needed investment to many countries. was that that caught my eye the Marshall Plan why is the Chinese man mentioning the Marshall Plan Next paragraph he tells you the original Marshall Plan was in 1948. Financial aid program sponsored by the United States to boost the economies of Western Europe after the Second World War. It was named after then Secretary Ah yes George Marshall. Ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen. The one belt, one road out in the news, they tell us that this investment bank that they set up for this, as of days ago, has $2 billion in holding. After all of its expenditures, but this article right here says that that same bank, its foreign reserves are nearly $4 trillion US dollars. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Why it is, do you think, the president of Northwest University, who leads the University Silk Road Institute, wanted you to see and remind you of the Marshall Plan and the simple fact that they didn't think it was too funny, you see? Because this would be an act of outright revenge because the Marshall Plan only helped – Europe it didn't help the Chinese that had been decimated by the Japanese or anybody else we invested only in our interest and literally the head of the Silk Road Institute just insinuated that this is revenge and they got the capital to back it up for US Trillion dollars in foreign reserves. The bank itself in its local holdings is worth two billion. Oh my goodness. For years, direct quote, the Central Asian and Arabian states have been neglected by investors. So there's great space for funding and development, he said. Ladies and gentlemen, he goes on to state media have reported that officials from nations including, and here they want you to remember that map they showed you, Kazakhstan. It's it's just – it's amazing, ladies and gentlemen. This is coming down the barrel, and he just openly threatened the United States. The entire West, because what we did with the Marshall Plan after World War II. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, it's common knowledge what the Marshall Plan was used for. It was only used to promote our own interest. It didn't help anybody else that had been decimated. And now somebody's looking for revenge. Revenge. The kings of the east, it's not that they will rise. They are rising right now. And when I take a look over the data that that Brian has sent me, you know, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the, the calculations that Brian sent me, it is screaming all over it especially the metatonic cycle with time. I'm going to read you a direct quote from Brian. I'm not going to have him explain it to you, but this is a direct quote. This is what he sent me. I was bothered because there is a 62-week cycle to the birth of Messiah. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how much he's going to expand on this, but He clearly points out that in his calculations, this set, this secular started at 2015, he was calculating. And that ain't good because it equals exactly a metatonic cycle. When a jubilee of 49 years is added to a very magical date. Lord have mercy. That brings you right to the temple destruction when you know what to look for. Brian, I hope that gave you a good enough breather. Um, I think I got everybody's attention for you.
0: Yeah, and just to touch on that one section fast. It's a 62-week. 62 62-week 62 inter- integer time frame from the decree going forth at the time of Artaxerxes 1 to the birth of Messiah and there's a 62 week integer from the time of the restoration of the second temple the crucifixion of Christ there's two 62 week integers in there now I sat working with that last night for hours on end trying to understand what I was looking at. That's going to go into a deeper topic in the future in a program we're going to have to do just alone on that. Now, I wanted to point out some aspects here to draw everybody's attention into some key, crucial, critical pieces that we pointed out time and time again within the programs we've done throughout the years. And one of the most absolute absolutely important aspects within everything is these trade routes it always has been it always will be and it's a major key critical portion in end time prophecy that is the other reason this becomes so massively important now you can get ideas of this through ezekiel 27 and a multitude of places all over the bible let me draw everybody back to alexander the great here quickly Because between the Hebrew and the Greek, we get two very distinct pieces identifying the one that had the keys to the treasury at the time of Esther. We're told that Haman, who was an Agagite, and that goes back to Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Now what, for instance, out of the work of David Roll, he's done in the Lords of Avarice, he's completely gone out of his way with a mass majority of tracing where these people went between the Hyksos who, the first stage in the Hyksos as they invaded Egypt, that was Amalek and then later the people that came to comprise the Hellenes of Greece, they came in afterwards and set up what he refers to as the greater Hyksos they became known in history at a different point as the sea peoples and he was able to go in and trace through the historical archaeological documentation all the way when they came up out of egypt resettled in those regions which goes into the ancient greek continents he was able to draw in all the correlations but he left something out concerning amalek so i had to privately ask him um did amalek settle in boeotia thebes it was due to the fact of what I noticed in the Bible referring to these crescent moons that Amalek used. And I noticed the same thing coming up in the historical records in the ancient Greek documentation concerning Boeotia, Thebes. And he responded back to me, he goes, that's what it looks like. And even Velikovsky had brought up ties into, I believe it was Oedipus and the Pharaoh Akhenaten. I just kind of shook my head. Now, the Greek tells us that Haman was a Macedonian. So now we have this interesting little play between the table of nations where you apparently, you can't escape the fact that somebody from Boeotia, Thebes, married somebody in Macedonia, and they therefore birthed Haman. Once again, these trade routes are being amplified in your mind. Now we bring back in the Macedonian equation, and it starts to just explode. Now, this is where I wanted to take this next, though, because when Matthew and I discussed this uh, first article with Blackwater moving in there to uh, Xinjiang, China, what I did later that night is I ran a uh, search term with that one belt, one road, with China, Russia, and Iran. And this is where I pulled up a string of these articles. Um, you have one of these is China-Russia-Iran ports and power along the Belt and Road. Um, just to blurb here quickly, because we're running low on time, if the China-Pakistan economic quarter doesn't live up to the hype, Russia may stand to benefit. Now, recall, everybody, I mentioned that Iran is trying to Sees a port in Syria And this is causing all kinds of issues We've had reports on top of it As I stated um, Over the course of the last two weeks There's conflicting reports coming out That Russia is going to be Going against Iran Because of terror And vice versa Where we had in this last week The meeting with the president of Iran And the meeting of Vladimir Putin To solidify more of these trade deals. So we have another one here, how Russia hopes an Iranian port will circumvent the one belt, one road. And one of our listeners very keenly noticed, I wonder what these ports have to do with Bible. So I quickly looked at the ports and Occamended Empire, Alexander the Great. And it was rather interesting. One of the ports was associated with the... uh, historians that came along with Alexander as they talked to the people that in our English tongue basically means the fish eating people China says will push Silk Road passing through POK despite this is where things really jump up folks despite India's objection this is causing major tension everybody Got the tension in Afghanistan. We have the tension in Pakistan. It's being amplified in India. And once again, here, Beijing's One Belt, One Road summit will embarrass India, says Chinese media. This is the story that I brought up last night. Now we need to understand why this is becoming a massive flashpoint. Is India reconsidering its no? first-use nuclear weapon policies. An unstable Pakistan-India border region and rumblings among former officials has given Islamabad reason to fear the New Delhi is reconsidering its long-held nuclear weapons doctrine of no first use. Everybody, you need to understand that both India and Pakistan possess a large number of nuclear weapons. You've already have major ramifications going on here, folks, in this one flashpoint alone. All right, Matthew, back to you. We are
1: seriously running out of time here. We're down to the last ten minutes, so I just want to bring this up. It's just just phenomenal, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen. Since when do countries get together with the goal I'm going to read this, and it's just hard to wrap my mind around. China is making progress toward its 130 million person (laughs) megacity. Ladies and gentlemen, they're trying to tie together 130 million people to make a megacity. When have you heard that done before? I mean, I'm sure if you go to New York City and ask them, they'll say, oh, no. What kind of psycho would want to would purposely plan to build a 130-million-person megacity. Well, Jingjinjai, which stands for Beijing, Taijin, and Heber, is a central plank of the country's economic development plan over the next century. In November, the government approved $36 billion to build 700 miles of rail between or within the next three years. Ladies and gentlemen, why on earth would you plan to make a megacity? But they're already years into this, and this $36 billion, well, that was just approved for this project. They've been going at this since 2014, but not that it's phased them at all. Since 2014, they've doubled their money. In local holdings. Now, that's beside the simple fact that they've got $4 trillion in foreign holdings. Oh my goodness, wrap your mind around this. Wrap your mind around this. This is the end times coming into fruition right in front of your face. The kings of the east are rising. Just blows me away how Brian just just in the past few days has gotten a hold of the key critical information concerning the genetic dispersions, and you look at the map and its Bible prophecy, it's right there. I mean, it all makes sense. It all makes sense looking at those wonderful genetic distribution maps, its it's prophecy in action ladies and gentlemen this is this is serious business and they're planning it without us and they are moving full steam ahead everything in this article it's anti poor people severely They say they don't want nothing about that. It says, by developing Tianjin, we encourage the redistribution of talent, he said. Education and housing is cheaper by half than in Beijing. It is hoped that the project will boost the movement of talent and labor to help underdeveloped areas catch up, a scenario that should help the entirety of the megacity, which is an average income of 40% to that of Beijing and Tianjin. Ladies and gentlemen, they're doing all of this to get the poor out of poverty, and they just come right out in the open of saying it. They're not just issuing the poor people help. No, their entire government is working on pu- on pulling they're undereducated and they're lower income people straight out of the ditches. That's why they're doing all this. It's their intention to there not be
0: a lower class.
1: And they are actively throwing billions of, hundreds of billions of dollars at that. So, They have made their intentions quite clear and they are going to accomplish. I mean, with $4 trillion US in just their foreign assets, they could pull down our economy whenever they wanted to. And it sounds like to me our leadership knows it. Now, they're running around. I mean, I'm sure that Since the last POTUS was elected, I'm sure that every senator and every congressman has probably doubled their cuts from these special interest groups as all of the rats start screwing toward the door because they know it's about ready to collapse. I I, I know they're doing that. But ladies and gentlemen, if Trump's talking about it publicly… Believe me, all the senators and congressmen have been talking about it for quite a long time. They know the new world's not included in the One Belt, One Road project.
0: Am um, I still connected here? Yes, you are. All right, well, that's we're down to five minutes here, so let me cover… Folks, you're probably asking the question, well, where's, what's going on here as far as prophecy in the Bible? Well, starting place, Isaiah 49, 11 and 12. I'll make all my mountains a road and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these will come from afar and low. These will come from the north and from the west and these from the lands of Sinim. As I brought up previously, Sinim, Hebrew is going to point you at China. But the Greek does something really interesting as well, because the Greek renders this as Persia. Take a look next at the word road in the Hebrew, or highway, H4546. And in the Greek, this is going to be G5147, Trebos, a rut or worn track, which you're also going to, uh, interestingly enough, it's going to tell you to see also 51. G5131, which is tragos, a he-goat. And then uh, you have uh, diatribo, to wear through, remain, as well as the root within this. Let's see, on top of this here, it is also of time, after, through the fullness or completion of, the prefix thorough, thoroughly. And that will bring you through all the Greek references between the Septuagint and the Textus Receptus. And the root here on top of it, going back in this again for Sinim, is thorns. And you'll notice that in the mass study throughout this as well, that that reference, that meaning of thorns will show up everywhere. And yeah, as I stated here, the Greek, behold, they shall come, they from afar shall come, some from the north and the west, and others from the land of the Persians. Where you going to that aspect. And let's see, what did I bring up next? Recall what I stated before as well concerning Blackwater, and they brought up the feet of the bear. That's where you get to dive into the bear. Everybody remember in Revelation, that beast is described as having the feet of the bear. And when you look at the one term within the Greek, you're going to get one set. When you go into the Hebrew, something interesting happens because the ones from Samuel in the Hebrew also have within the root for the word that ties to the word for India used in the book of Esther and other places. So you get even more information as you keep digging and digging into this one. So, and this word here that's tied to that word for bear is H1912, which is for India, which means flee away or give you thanks. And this, uh, the definition here, further, the countries surrounding the Indus Mentioned in the eastern border of the empire of Ahasuerus. So, this study gets real deep, folks. Give you the last uh, minute or so here, Matthew. Yes, ladies and
1: gentlemen, I, I, man, I strongly suggest you look at all those biblical references that uh, he pointed out to you. It's absolutely off the charts, and so is this one belt, one road. When you plainly look at the map and you see that if the Euphrates does dry up, it offers the Land Silk Road and the Maritime Silk Road a path of least resistance. You can plainly see that. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, God bless. Godspeed.